Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Twyla After Show podcast. We are finally back after yet another extended break. With me, of course, is... It was not as long as last time. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, the break okay. was not that bad. No, it wasn't, but, uh, you know, we've been off trying to manage things, and that was Carl Wiggers who just interrupted me. With sorry about that. New role as producer of Twyla. Congratulations, Carl. Well, thank you. Uh, however, you know it's not just the new role that makes me interrupt you. That's nothing new. No, it's, that's that's uh, to be expected. Of course, uh, Kristen Oakes-White and Avery Davidson, co-host of Twyla, are here with me as well. And uh, let's talk about, I guess, this show. We've tried to, in the past, this would be the Twyla podcast that came after the American Farm Bureau Convention, and that is this one, but it is truncated because everything was online this year. It's a little bit different American Farm Bureau. What did y'all think about American Farm Bureau Convention? You know, I have to say it was kind of tough. It was kind of tough because, you know, whenever you're at a virtual convention, Everything else is the same in your life, so it's not like you suddenly don't have your daily work responsibilities to do. You know, in my case, you know, doing press releases, you know, doing other things for the Louisiana Farm Bureau, whereas when you're in San Diego, when you're in Atlanta, this is all you have to do, so you're able to dedicate your time to it, and so... I was only I only tuned in for the opening session, and that was because you know Ronnie Anderson received the Founders Award, as we talked about in the show, and I just I felt like I I had an obligation to be there for him because mm-hmm. you know he was always there for us here at the Louisiana Farm Bureau and for our members. But other than that, uh, the only other thing I really tried to tune in for was when our young farmers and ranchers were uh, in their competitions, which I know Kristen watched all of that extensively. It, I, I didn't think that it was, I mean, I didn't mind it. The, I, I know that it was different. And at times watching our excellence in ag competitor, Camry Martin, I felt nervous for her because I knew that, and I don't know what would be more nerve wracking, having a room full of people there while you're giving the presentation, or I feel like with the Zoom meetings, you always have that if there's no response. And there wasn't, because I was, I was panicking. I could not find. It wasn't like a traditional Zoom meeting because you can't. There is no mute button, and so I was having anxiety. If I said, "Surely they have everybody else muted," but that I could see how it would it would give me anxiety not to at least have like a response from somebody as to what you're saying. But right. um, feel the crowd as you're talking. Yeah, she did. She did a great job though. But I'm mm-hmm. sure. That, other than that, I I know that that was probably a very odd circumstance have to compete in that atmosphere and how about philip tomlinson making the top 10 yes for the achievement right. award i thought i was like you know he really could go all the way and I, a I, group in yeah, general, yeah. I, thought. yeah. I, I wasn't surprised at all by yeah. by him well you got to do a story so i mean you know the the i guess the man behind the farmer yes and how sharp he is uh so i mean uh, we you shouldn't be surprised. I, well, I know that's what I was with tongue in cheek saying that. Yeah. But um, every year it always amazed me because you never know, you never know what they're going to pick. And I watched um, the stories they showed them on RFD of the ones that won, and um, I mean they all seem like great farmers. I guess we're just partial to our Louisiana kids. Of course, of course we are. Of course. I, just talking about conventions in general, I, I attended a podcast convention virtually back in probably october november and it was the same way it's like i, I want to watch as much of this as i can but i still have twilight to produce i still have to go shoot stories so i was trying to catch up and watch the 
the pieces I wanted to and, and really wanted to catch, like after hours and like watching it back on demand. And it's just a totally different thing. And I'm not going to lie. I was really kind of bummed out all of it. Like as I'm watching some of those, like I really wish I was in San Diego right now. COVID yeah. aside and all that. That's, like, that's what I was going to say. I'm, I'm going to be pretty forthcoming here. I'm most disappointed we didn't get to go to San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love that town. And there's so much to do. There's a lot of good food there. And, you know, the other thing about it is that was the last convention Mike Dana was at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it has a special, you know, connection for it. We got to go to the San Diego Zoo. We got to do behind-the-scenes stuff there with Zookeeper Rick. Led us around. We got really great access to that. Uh, one of the behind-the-scenes thing I got to do was while the rest of the group was going on to the next to set up for the next thing I had a camera with me and a group of the zookeepers brought me into a room and said we're gonna bring a serval out would you like to to see it which is an African savanna cat and so it's a it's like a house it's shaped like a house cat but it's about 50% bigger and so it acted just like a cat. And I was sitting in that room. I mean, literally, the cat was running across my lap while I was filming it. And so it was just an awesome experience. The handlers were there. I wasn't in any danger or anything like that. But it's just one of those things we get to do as part of the show. I mean, it's work, but it's so much. It doesn't feel like it. You yeah. Know? yeah. And that, that trip, going to the San Diego Zoo, the crazy thing is I never got to go to the actual zoo to go be a a tourist there Mm -hmm. but the behind the scenes stuff was all so so cool whenever we shot in the panda cage and everything that was just that was just awesome to me that sounds nuts i actually so we went with my leadership class to san diego it's where we began our california trip and we spent a day or so in san diego but we didn't really have much sightseeing time and i was i was like oh it's gonna be fine we have san diego american farm bureau in a couple years all is going to be good. I'll get to get my San Diego time, and here we are. Whatever. It's Mike Rowe is good. I'll add that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was really cool. I love Mike Rowe, though. Yeah. I'm just a sucker for anything he does. He was great. Um, great podcast, by the way, if anybody's curious. Yeah, he, he does have a great one. And, yeah, he's still, to this day, my favorite of all the American Farm Bureau conventions I've been to. He is my favorite and speaker. The- and the one he was at before this was Atlanta, right. the ice storm. They when talked, you and that's I, what they talked about. <laughs> you and I were outside getting interviews with people. Mike Danum built a snowman <laughs> to put on top of a garbage can. You could can so tell who pictures. was from Louisiana because those people from Michigan were like, we, went, we came down here to get away from this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Mike Rowe was amazing then, and I, I only got to see a snippet of, of his talk this go-round. Was, I enjoyed it. And even with the with the odd format, you know, the um, fireside chat fireside style. chat type yeah. thing, which would was anything with Zoom to me is awkward because you don't know when it's hard to tell when somebody else is going to talk next. And so, even with a few hiccups in that format, he's still. I mean, he's just made for TV. He is, and he you can tell he's also done a few of these kind of computer oh, yeah. like Zoom interviews like this because he was he was a champ about it. The great thing about him is that he really does a great job bridging the audiences Mm -hmm. between white and blue collar. And I think it's something in this politically charged atmosphere that we've had that's so important. Uh, You know, one, because um, of how people like me who live in the city depend on rural and blue-collar efforts to keep the infrastructure of this nation going. Everything we enjoy has to be built, and so these are the people who do it. And I think having that appreciation 
is the sort of dialogue that we need in today's society in order to help us, you know, come together. And what I love what he does with micro works mm -hmm. is showing people you do not have to go into deep debt to have mm -hmm. a good paying possibly six figure job. Right. He okay? talked a lot about mm -hmm. that. Yeah. You know, that's you don't come out of a trade school with a hundred thousand dollars in debt. You come out of trade school with a job, okay? Right. And mm -hmm. nothing to owe anybody but yourself. And that to me Pointing that out to folks is huge, and that's yeah. not to knock a college education because every single one of us in this room went to college, and some of us decided they wanted to torture themselves more and get a master's. Right, Neil? Right. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'm not trying to knock that, but it shows that you don't have to go that route, and in a, in a lot of ways, in, especially now, it's almost smarter mm -hmm. to go and have a skilled trade than it is to get a college education because right. you just end up in a better place on the other side and of it. I agree, and it's so important, and it, and it's just especially, I mean, do what you want to do with your life, but my God, have respect for people and respect the, what they do. And, and I mean, I, I've worked a white-collar job all my life, but I have such a profound respect for, uh, let's take, for instance, machinists. They are incredible. They can literally build anything. They can repair anything and build anything. And so am I supposed to look down on them because they don't have a college degree? No, mm -hmm. that's ridiculous. They have huge, not only experience and trade school education, but they have life experience that counts for so much more. And I think a lot of people with college degrees can forget that when you get that piece of paper, that's the start of your learning. That's where you really begin to apply what you've learned to the real world, and you still have so much on-the-job training that, that you haven't gotten yet that you really need to figure out and, and go forward. I mean, my job does require you know that higher level of education, but a lot of what we do with running cameras and that sort of stuff are technical skills that require hands-on experience that you can't really get in a lot of, uh, in, in just with just a college education. I th one thing that makes him so valuable as a speaker at that particular function, and I think why I liked him so much, after, even after all 10, 11 that I've been to, that there were good speakers. Barbara from Shark Tank, she was excellent. There, were, there have been a lot of great speakers, but to me, the thing that sets him apart is that it's not, he doesn't have to change his presentation to gear it towards agriculture because he just knows and he speaks to they asked him they did did you listen to the yeah. whole thing the asked off the cuff questions right. at the mm -hmm. end like rapid fire rapid fire yeah and he asked what's the um i think it was a question what do you what do you, you remember you think, the first farm you went to and or what do you think people if you could share one trait that you value or appreciate mm -hmm. most about farmers and ranchers what would it be and he said and he didn't know the questions beforehand he said that the first farm that he did dirty jobs the dairy he said we had our entire crew with us he said and they we were said well, okay, we're gonna go to a hotel and we'll, we'll see y'all first thing in the morning and he's they said no you're you're staying here he said we've got there's eight nine of us i mean he said they didn't bat an eye he said that it was, it was understood that he said and that's what always amazes me about farmers ranchers the hospitality mm -hmm. the sincerity the genuine you know attitude and it's so it's so real mm -hmm. and that's it's so it's, it's not and it's stuff we see all the time mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and we take for granted but you could tell that he appreciates it right and what was cool about that him telling that story was he said and also 
any time since then that I've yeah. driven through that part, I have to call them and stay with them. I can't stay at a hotel in that right. in that area of the world. And those are the hardest working people on the planet. Yeah. You know, dairy producers. I mean, they, you know, if anybody has a reason to beg off, they do. But they that they're just like that. And farmers across the board, I mean, I have to literally stop farmers from carrying my tripod on shoots when I go to it, you know, and it's because they're they're one. And I'm like, you're doing me the favor by helping me, you know, mm-hmm. by allowing me out here. It's every day. I mean, and everybody in this room knows it. They, they just go above and beyond the call of duty at every every time. It's well, just, it's obvious that he knows that intimately, and that great. it's not that it, it's not just words coming out of his mouth that he appreciates farmers. He, you can tell that he knows that. And talking of dirty jobs, I know someone who had a very dirty job these last two weeks, mm-hmm. having to go to a distillery mm-hmm. of all places yeah. yep. and and do another story. You know, talking about working hard for the oh, farm bureau. Yeah, for the nose to the grindstone, folks. That's uh, that is what I had to do. Baton Rouge Distillery is run by a husband and wife team, Ricky and Natasha, and they were, speaking of hospitality, just let me, I, I went three different times because they had different things going on. <laughs> he may go back tomorrow, too, just to get that mm-hmm. extra, extra shot. Well, a lot of research. Yeah, extra yeah. shot. A lot, yeah. lot, lot, of, lot of post-shoot research got to put into it. No, but uh, they did, um, they're a very small operation. They do 50 gallons at a time. And so that's why they have to break the still down and they have to do things. They did the mash on one day and then the distilling on another. They are heavily involved with agriculture. They work with a central Louisiana uh, producer who is in his late 70s who didn't want to be on camera because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't go out there and get it. But that's where they get their product from. They're looking, they're sourcing from other places. And they're turning around and giving that mash back. In fact, they asked my help to find a producer to give their mash to. Oh, wow. Um, that's cool. So uh, I'm working what with What kind Amelia of producer? Kent. They look like a, a grain? Uh, I livestock, mean, a cattle? usually. Yeah, yeah, livestock. And so I got Amelia Kent on the, the job, and she's, you know, of course, she's already found somebody. And uh, so we're working that out. And um, But they, because they want to be part of the community, they want right. to give back, and they recognize how fundamental agriculture is. We, I bought a bottle of their strawberry brandy. Um, I bet you did. Because they're, uh, is it they're on closed right now. It's not on your desk, is it? Yeah, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. It's mine right here. Yeah. <laughs> it's all gone. In my, in in my, my belly. belly. Huh? I brought it home, and uh, my wife started making some of the cocktails they have on their website. Natasha's from France. Ah. Oh. And so I, I talked to her about the cultural differences between France and the United States. And, of course, they do give alcohol to you know, kids as young as 12 or even younger, right? (laughs) But it's understood that the big difference they see is that wine and alcohol is part of a meal. It's not, they don't drink, there's not a big, big culture of going out and drinking like there Mm -hmm. is in the United States. So they don't suffer quite as much from the alcoholic, you know, end of it. And so, um, so she's their mixologist and their marketing. They're both co-owners equally of it. But she's the one who's come up with this, and she was, she's brought a, um, a a version of the French uh, old seventy five. They call it LA seventy five, and it's a cocktail with that strawberry brandy, and it oh. is phenomenal. Mm. Um, they've even got one on their website for real connoisseurs. It's like a hundred dollars in ingredients that you can put in there, and apparently it's fantastic. We didn't go that far yeah. when we made made the cocktail, but um, so they cater to everything. It was reasonably priced. That brandy was uh, twenty five bucks, and so. 
Um, uh, they're really trying to, you know, keep prices within people's range. They're part of the Baton Rouge Bourbon Society, and so they're they're trying to introduce people slowly to this different um, way of doing things. And Natasha's experience from Europe, I think, also brings a lot to the table for them. Is this going to be like a, a recurring theme? You just did a story, I feel like, yesterday on mm-hmm. Sugarfield Spirits. Is right. That, is that just your uh, your new beat? Uh, yes, it is. I've claimed it exclusively. Nobody else may do it. Um, that's just uh, the way things are. So. And his liver thanks you for it. Yeah, okay, whatever you say. As long as you bring back some for the rest of right. the team here uh, well, I'm from time to on time. They're, the distillery, they're small and they're in because of COVID. They haven't been producing as much, so they're still... Uh, making stuff so there's not a lot of widely available um, stuff yet so, so it's that rare going it's rare right now yeah and uh, but um, it's it's one of those things that I think is really fun a fun way to bring agriculture to you know our daily lives because as you can see as you'll see in the story agriculture is at every part of that distilling phase and um, both uh, Ricky and Natasha are engineers by trade and so this is how Ricky is actually going into part, he's just went into part time to do, um, from his engineering firm to do, uh, to take over the distilling, you know, more more mm. frequently. Taking it more full time? Yeah. That's pretty cool. I, I, li- I love these stories because it's one of those places that are kind of like, you don't think about agriculture, mm-hmm. but we all enjoy the fruits of that agri- that, right. that part of agriculture. And it's just like, oh, that's, that is, I guess, that does connect back to a farmer. It's mm-hmm. kind of, it's kind of a cool way to to tell that. It, it connects to a farmer on both ends. That's right. what I love about yes, it. I do too. Um, and they think about those uh, those byproducts, and we talk about that. This was the first time somebody explained to me about the distilling process in terms of the byproducts of methanol and ethanol and the different boiling points and what each of these things mean. So he actually goes into detail in a fairly quick fashion as to give people an idea of, of what it is. And and part of the reason, like you've heard about how moonshine can be bad for people, that methanol that burns off at 140 degrees, the reason it's so bad or so potent is because it smells so good. Like when you smell it it's the sweetest it comes from that you know sugary you know end of it and it really it smells good it smells like it tastes really good but it's highly poisonous that's what blinds and kills people they've had as many as 80 people at a stretch die from it so they have to siphon that off and they usually uh they're using they're selling that to it's use it has a use in cosmetics and so they're they've used that methanol for for something there all of their byproducts are either given to different um uh companies or they call it the heads and the tails and that's what i was about to say yeah and so they they'll either sell it out you know or or donate it like the mash to farmers or they'll reuse it in their distilling process at some point then we cut the whiskey (laughs) yeah well you you remember that right the yeah you might remember that (laughs) negative ion filter h2o filter and a uv light yeah then we cut the whiskey yes i'm I'm pretty sure that some of the stuff that he was serving me Mm mm-hmm from the jars, it may not have been uh, yeah, OSHA approved. Yeah, your 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 poisonous that you were talking about. Yeah, uh, I don't think his grandfather did it that way. No. Yeah, of course, grandpa <laughs> didn't have all that. He didn't have the license either. Yeah, you know, I never seen, that... I never saw that story until just a couple weeks ago when you what? said that. Really, I don't know. I, I... Every time we talk about that story, Lady goes, "You know, we cut hay again in May." <laughs> and, and I have as my ringtone for Kristen Oaks White, ready I have her going, "Ready to ride the lightning." 
<laughs> she yelled that while we that. were shooting uh, show leads. Yeah. So what if do you I have. Expect? Oh yeah, you you were lit. You were lit. That was that. That was not necessarily true. <laughs> but it's not necessarily false either. Yes. <laughs> yes. Can neither confirm nor deny reports to that extent. It's like drinking acetone in the first. <laughs> My God. I mean, that stuff is potent. I, I did sample a, a little, little bit of the strawberry brandy raw. <laughs> yeah, before they get it down to 40 proof. Yeah, I th- think it peeled my contacts out of or my Or 80, yeah. 80 proof. Yeah, 80 yeah. proof. It's, uh, it's pretty intense. Well, moving on. Um, we have other stories we, we can talk about. We do have other stories. And one of the things I want to talk about was um, uh, the honor Ronnie Anderson got at the American Fire right. Bureau. Let's go back to that. But, uh, Avery, you kind of were the one communicating with Stuart, who actually put that piece together. Yes. And John, John of, Miller voiced how it. Did, how did all that kind of come about who, who started so, all that well so it all started when uh president jim harper the louisiana farm bureau said let's nominate ronnie anderson for the founders award and then there were two other farm bureau presidents uh in florida and colorado who both both wanted to nominate him as well and so uh we began the task of writing up the nomination form for the founders award and uh once it was complete we submitted it. So did Colorado. So did Florida. So it was almost like three identical uh, nominations coming in, and he was chosen to receive the award. And it's it's really a prestigious award because it's meant for folks who have done the most for the Farm Bureau organization. I was about to ask, has it, how many times has it been given out before now? If I remember correctly, this was only the third or the second. Yeah. Um, because they had just created it before they had the Distinguished Service Award, but that's meant more for someone who's from outside the organization. Mm -hmm. The Founders Award was designed for people within the organization. So um, that really... I wasn't surprised that he won, and I know that might sound a little cocky, but, I mean, the man deserves it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about 31 years of service as the president of the Louisiana Farm Bureau. You're talking about someone who who went from the dairy industry into beef cattle, who still loves horses, even though he's been bucked off twice and had some pretty bad injuries from that. I believe he says he collects them now. Yes, he <laughs> collects them. Uh, so, you know, I, and having, let's let's go all the way to 78 days in the hospital with COVID-19. I mean, you bring all of that together and what he's done f- to to further Farm Bureau in the state, Mm -hmm. took the organization from 64,000 members when he came on in 1989 all the way to 148,000. Almost straight double. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. That's that's unbelievable, and that's incredible leadership that he's shown over these 31 years. Yes, and and it doesn't uh, touch on... I mean, of course, those other it doesn't surprise me about those other states nominating him because he was so instrumental as a leader on the American Farm Bureau board. Mm -hmm. And that is where I think you can really see the sacrifice because he was constantly going to these meetings. I mean, the presidency of the Farm Bureau is not just, you know, buffets and state dinners and that kind of thing. It is work on more weekends than not during a year, going Mm -hmm. to meetings within the state, going to all of these 
parish farm bureau board meetings, going to the national board meetings, and he was very active in that. Louisiana had an outsized effect on the American Farm Bureau Federation as an organization. And testifying before Congress, we can't leave that out as well because, right. I mean, he went before the House Ag Committee a number of times to, to discuss the farm bill. So you're talking about someone from a state where, what, agriculture is a 12, 11, 12 billion dollar a year industry, which it does sound like a lot, and it is a lot for us, but you compare that to, say, California, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, their flower industry alone mm-hmm. is $12 billion. But we are able to influence policy mm-hmm. at the national level because of Ronnie Anderson's involvement. Mm-hmm. That really made the difference, and I think that, you know, he, he deserves that honor. You know, on March 4th, he'll be inducted into the uh, Louisiana. Louisiana Agriculture Hall of Distinction. Another honor he well deserves, and uh, I just I can't say enough good things about the man. So, and I, I thank President Jim Harper for for having the 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 foresight and the thought to let's put him up, let's put him up for these awards, mm-hmm. let's let's get him these honors. Yes, I agree, Carl. I was just gonna say, also the man's not dead. He's still right here with us, serving on the board, still very thank involved, mm-hmm. still. Mm-hmm. So his work with Farm Bureau is not. It's not done. So that's one of the exciting things for us that we still get to interact with him. Maybe he can um, run for his district seat on the boardage. <laughs> that would be a trip. I don't think so. But that would be kind of that'd be kind of wild to see him sitting mm-hmm. uh, That's a voting delegate. Spot. Yeah. Well, I certainly hope he stays around. He will be. He will be. He's... I'm excited to go and see him. I need to go see him. Brittany, uh, Brittany wants to go ride horses. So I'm going to see if I can get <laughs> talk my way into a little horse riding picnic time out there. At Using... Using your position, and and not to mention, Daddy, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Mr. Anderson has offered many times mm-hmm. for me to come out. He'd and, do that uh, to anyone. Yeah, right. I know. He offered for us to go and fish at his house. I Working mean. with for him for twenty five years, open door was not just a, a empty promise. It was a reality, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to go in there and talk to him at any given time. Um, speaking of going up towards the northerly direction from Baton Rouge, Jennifer Finley had a really interesting story this week. She went with a, a good, really long ways north. Right. All the way to Central. Huh? <laughs> All the way to Pride. Right. Pride, Louisiana. Uh, to, well, which is not far, not too far from Ronnie. Um, but they had uh, a, interacted with a good friend of ours of the shows, Casey Luckett, right. and uh, their new um, enterprise, the Canning Chicks, mm-hmm. is what they call themselves. Yeah. And I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I'm going to spoil it a little bit, but it's she and one of her old former customers as the, of the CSA, I think mm-hmm. probably current customer too, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it neat. They tell the origin story of how uh, her, I think Jean is her name. Mm-hmm. Am I saying it right? I'm not Cajun or whatever that is, <laughs> that French. Uh, <laughs> I'm a redneck from North Louisiana, right? Uh, but, Clearly. Huh? Clearly. Uh-huh. Anyways, <laughs> she was taking... Uh, the excess that she had in her CSA box and canning it. And Casey was like, hey, I got stuff that I can't really put in a box. Mm-hmm. I can't sell. You want it? And they started a friendship that way. And then they just decided over the last six months, I think, just to kind of make it a business. And their stuff's awesome. Avery, you would know. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Jennifer brought a, a, a jar of the Canning Chicks bread and butter pickles. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother loves Bread and butter pickles. You know Absolutely loves them. Bread and butter pickles. I don't know anyone. I'm just going to guess the guy talking right now. You, oh, <laughs> right. 
Well, sadly, my mother ate like half of the jar in one sitting. So uh, that I, not much to bring back to you, Carl. Okay. But she said that they were some of the best bread and butter pickles. They reminded her of what her grandmother would make. So we're going back to the 1950s. Mm. Wow. Right before Thanksgiving, they did a big, uh, they kind of, as when they kind of launched, and they launched with some cranberry pepper jelly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I got a little jar of it for, uh, for Thanksgiving. And everybody in my house was raving about it because we just take it and put it over a block of cream cheese, and you've got an app right there. Pork loin. It's great on a pork oh, loin, too. On the Traeger. You know who likes wow. cranberry pepper jelly? That, but that's awesome. You could have bought uh, some Carl, I make pepper you jelly know, you know for that purpose likes that? Really? Yes. Mm. I'm going to have to try that now. Let's just say that. But that's what that was my first uh, my first canned product from the canning chicks. And it was pretty neat. They talk about the origin story. They, they actually, right. then they go to the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're out in the field in Pride, and they dig some carrots, I believe, and they take it to the kitchen. The second half, where they're in the and, and so they're actually canning and prepping and talking about it, and it's really what were the carrots? I saw the picture. What do you mean? The I, it was some kind pickled of pickled carrots yeah, or they something. Were pickled, they were pickling carrots. Uh huh. Which yeah. is just interesting. I've never had pickled carrots. I don't have yeah. pickled much much pickled stuff. It's Pick- it's really good. It's a cuisine in Japan. Really I'm busting out my Japan knowledge. Here, mm-hmm. but it's here called ocean pole. <laughs> And they, they pickle radishes and carrots and cucumber, I mean, normal pickles and that kind of thing. But they do a lot. And then it comes, it's it's not for everybody, but there's a lot of really interesting flavors and tastes you can do with, with pickling. The thing that I was very gratified to see with this is, um, as I said, Casey Luckett is a friend of our show, an avid watcher. And uh, not to go too far deep into it, but she's had a number of personal and professional challenges over the last couple of years. And uh, not the least of which is the weather affecting her CSA very badly at at one point. And this just shows farmer resiliency. I mean, she Mm, took these personal Mm -hmm. hits and she just kept on going and found this new way to find a different approach and a new business enterprise. And I just... My hats are off to. I mean, there's just uh, where other people may collapse under the weight of things. Farmers like Casey and the Luckets um, just, you know, find a find a way to keep going. And tackle a way to not have so much food to go to waste. Because right. I can tell you from just having a small garden, not pennies compared to what they have, but you can't eat. I mean, and if they don't sell. Well, All of it for that week, for yes. The ugly stuff. Yes. Right. And, I mean, it's like what they say about, you know, growing tomatoes. The two problems with growing tomatoes are, one, not being able to grow tomatoes, and, two, actually growing the tomatoes. Because <laughs> once you start growing them, they right. just yeah. through the roof. This reminds me, I actually need to just get started on my, I'm going to do a garden this spring. Maybe I can get some pointers from somebody in the room mm-hmm. uh, how to not plant too much. Well, don't ask me because I especially I jalapenos. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't go out there again. I think from June until the first freeze that we had, we were covering water faucets, and I said, I didn't know all this was still out here. There were. <laughs> I started picking jalapenos that were fine. There were tomatoes on there. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to get that. Get my gardening I was going. Negligent. In the new house, so that's going to happen. Right. Uh, one more thing I wanted to bring up in the show this week was a really cool story. And I don't even know if did you see the farm dog story? I did. I did a story for it on radio while I was covering for, for Avery. I, it's so cool. I, I had a little tears come to my eyes. It was yeah. so well done. I was and I've always just to be totally transparent, every time I see the farm dog stuff go out from American Farm Bureau, no offense, American Farm Bureau folks, I roll my eyes. I'm just like, who cares? People love it. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. I was like Now watching, you care. <laughs> I, knew, I was watching the story and I was like, 
gosh. What a dang. Anyway, so Bindi, right? Bindi, B I N D I, Bindi, from New York State. Yes. Yes. Uh, the dog works York. on a mm-hmm. uh, a dairy. A dairy, and it was the scenery was beautiful, and then the story matched. I was just I was really impressed. I'm glad you picked that for your boost. Uh, people who don't who haven't ever had to you know work with dogs don't realize just how like border collies and Aussie shepherds and all these breeds that are designed to work i mean they work they work their little tails off <laughs> for aussie shepherds it's literally true but uh, they, <laughs> and they you know. need to work too because they, right that's like that great pyrenees that we have she's the same gear of like yes. herding mm-hmm. she's been wandering off a lot lately and i think that it's because we don't have any lot we need to get some cattle or something i, say, mm-hmm. I think you have a place for them yeah she well she she needs they say that they need something to take care of right. I said she's got guineas that's an important <laughs> thing just kind of a little bit off topic but if you get dogs you really need to decide, to understand what to they understand need what breed you're getting because like german shepherds german shepherds are pre-programmed to work you know they, they have a work and they want to work and if you yeah. don't put them to work they are unhappy and get into all kind of mischievousness. So. Can, Neil's going from Japanese to German on uh, <laughs> I was going to say, we just got a, a, a black lab mix, mm-hmm. Lulu, and she. you have to take her out and mm-hmm. play with her every day because she's going to be a puppy for the next two to two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And now, great dog. She's. We've been you know, teaching her focus command and sitting and everything else uh, that we can. I mean, we're not professional trainers, obviously, but uh, you know, she's she's work, she's doing well. But about oh seven o'clock every night, if I don't take her outside and throw a stick or throw a ball. Lulu starts take, chasing our cat Harley <laughs> all over the house, and it is just like jumping over couches and everything else. No obstacles are Would, in the way. And that dog will never win Farm Dog of the Year. I promise you. <laughs> I'll well, trade you an 11 year old lab for your. No, that's okay. I, we had a lab, Maggie, who when was alive when my elderly grandmother was living with my parents, and the Maggie was so smart she would heard my grandmother through the house as she walked with a walker or a cane and she would do things like at sharp table corners she would interpose her body in between the sharp table corner and my grandmother so she wouldn't hit the um the sharp table and it was just i just never seen and i mean just knew knew to do Mm -hmm. it nobody nobody trained her to do that she just knew to do it so they're they're incredible. It, uh, farm dogs are just amazing. The only thing my my farm dog in my house is good at is getting on the couch with dirty feet. Or white snacks. White white couch. Yeah. Okay. Sad day. Well, that was a fun story. <laughs> <laughs> he's the worst, but he's the best. Right. All right. Well, I think that's about all the time we have. I want to thank Kristen, Avery, and Carl. I'm Neil Malonasaw, and thank you guys for joining us. We hope to see you, and we should be back for you next week. If you can, subscribe to us on your favorite place to get podcasts. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, and let us know what you think about the show. Reviews are great, but sharing is how you show that you're caring. So bring (laughs) your mother in, bring your sister in, share this podcast with them, let them know that you enjoy listening to the Twyla After Show. And don't forget this podcast is produced by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. 